Right, this time, uh, we're going to dismiss the children ages 3 to 8 years old. If you would uh, make your way downstairs to Children's Church. Thank you, Bartons, for your ministry and song this morning. It was beautiful, and as always, uh, the rest of us, if you'll turn to the Gospel of Mark, Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. Mark, chapter 10, we'll begin in verse 32. Mark chapter 10, verse 32. I read about a, a man that was out uh, in the wilderness, and it was uh, a little bit later in winter than it is right now. And he came across a frozen uh, river, and he needed to cross that in order to get to where he needed to go. And so, But he was afraid that the ice was too thin. And so he got on his hands and knees, and as he uh, was crawling across, he was on pins and needles. His adrenaline was pumping. He would hear cracks as he would go over the ice, thinking that it would give way at any moment. And as he approached the opposite side, and he was almost there, he was totally exhausted. He was freezing from the sweat from his body, from being terrified of going down. And then this guy just swoops past him on a sled full of all kinds of supplies to the other side. And he realized that it was thick enough the whole time. And you know, fear can do that to us. As we follow the Lord Jesus Christ, we can come to uh, challenging spots in the road, or maybe even traps that we may face from the devil, and we can be afraid. And we can be on our hands and knees and we can be following him and, or at least saying we're following him and try to follow him, but we do it with fear. And fear will hinder you from following Christ every time. And here in Mark chapter 10, the, the disciples, the 12 disciples and probably some others that are there, they are traveling with Jesus. He has left some town in Perea, which was on the southeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee, on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Okay, just kind of give you the geography a little bit. And so they are there and they have left. And if you remember last time here in the Gospel of Mark, the last time we studied, we met the rich young ruler. And as he left this town in Perea, this region here, this rich young ruler came up to him and he wanted to know what he could do in order to inherit eternal life. And he quickly realized that he couldn't do anything. Uh, with man, that is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And we talked about that. But now that uh, Jesus has left that town, he's on his way to Jerusalem. And there is a road that goes through Perea, crosses the Jordan River at a low spot, and then goes through Jericho and up to Jerusalem. And that's exactly the road that Jesus is on when this event takes place. Starting in verse 32, the disciples are dealing with fear. It says, And they were in the way, going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus went before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. And that is just one Greek sentence in the original. So I'm just going to start stop there. But this is the problem that they were dealing with. And fear is a formidable foe that we deal with on a constant basis. We're dealing with that uh, in our Sunday school class in regards to quieting a noisy soul. One of the things that we deal with is fear. And fear can cause anxiety. And we, as we talked about this morning, it's because we believe a lie about what God's word says or about God himself. 
And, you know, we think about different fears that we're going to face as followers of Christ. When you follow Jesus, you're going to face one fear, the fear of man. And you have a choice of whether God's going to be big in your life or man is going to be big in your life. But when God is big, man is small. And But the fear of man makes God, uh, man big and God small. So how big is God in your eyes? You know, as we think about the fear of man, we can think, we can question, what if I follow Jesus Christ, what are people in town going to think of me? Or how is my family going to react to my radical devotion to Jesus Christ? Another fear that you're going to face is the fear of uncertainty. You know, we are in election cycle this year, and many of us uh, can be afraid of what if so and so becomes president. I'm I'm going to be worried if either one of them becomes president. Okay, but the fact of the matter is, is that we can deal with different uncertainties in life, and we can be all um, anxious and wound up tight because of uncertainties in our life. What am I going to do for with the rest of my life? A teenager may be wondering. Um, Husband and wife. How are we going to pay for these unexpected bills that came up this month? This kind of fear of uncertainty can drive us insane, as we talked about in Sunday school, where we leave what is true about reality and about God. But then also another fear that we face is the fear of loss. And, you know, we can sometimes, as we follow Christ, we can fear that we're missing out on something. We can be afraid that we're going to miss out on what our friends at school are dealing with. And we have that peer pressure at school, but we can even think that here as adults. Maybe I need to be out in the field harvesting. I might miss out on what I could be getting, and we don't follow Christ the way we should. Or we may, in the political realm, what if we lose our voice in America as Christians? The thing is, is that we're always going to have an influence for Christ if we're following Christ the way we should. We don't always have to be a majority in order to serve Jesus Christ. And we don't have to feel like the sky is falling when we're not the majority. Because the fact of the matter is, God and you make a majority. And that's who you need to be devoted to. And here with the disciples, we read in verse 32, just the first part there, that first sentence, that they were following Jesus and he was on, they knew he was on his way to Jerusalem because he was on this Jericho road. This road went through Jericho and it went up to, um, to Jerusalem. And they were amazed or they were shocked. And that word amazed means that they were scared and they could not move. That's actually what it means. is that they were scared to the point that they could not move. It'd be kind of like maybe a kid going to you know, some kind of haunted house and someone jumps out at them and they just are like, oh, and they can't do anything. Or or if you walked out in front of a car and you didn't see it and you just are like a deer in the headlights and you cannot move. And so this fear paralyzes them, but they still are willing to follow him. They're amazed. They're surprised. They're taken back from it that Jesus would be going to Jerusalem. Why would they be so shocked? Because they knew, according to the Gospel of John and other threats that the Jewish leaders had made, that he was that the Jewish leaders wanted to put him to death. And he, we're going to read here in verses 33 and 34 where Jesus reveals for the third time 
that he is going to Jerusalem, that he's going to be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and he's going to be killed, and he's going to uh, be uh, he's going to be killed, and then he's going to rise again from the dead on the third day. And so Jesus has already told them he's going to die, and he's heading right into a very dangerous situation. And the disciples are not only shocked, but they are afraid. They're not only amazed, but they're also afraid of what Jesus is doing. And, and it's all based on fear. In regards to the Jericho Road, we know from the story of the Good Samaritan that bandits lived on. And they uh, tormented and took advantage of people on this Jericho Road that went up to Jerusalem. And they would beat and rob them and half kill them. And the same was true when Jesus and his 12 were traveling on this. But you know what? Fear, according to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, the Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And you know what? Fear is not of God. So when you deal with fear in your life, you need to realize, first of all, that is not from God. That is from something else. It's either from your own sinful flesh or from a lie that someone has told you or maybe even how Satan has orchestrated a lie through that person or in your life somehow. And he is the father of lies. And he is going to deceive you and he wants to paralyze you and hinder you from following Christ. And not only is it based on lies, fears are based on lies, but 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, it says that perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment. Fear will torment your soul. It will torment your life. And that's not the way uh, the Lord wants you to follow him. So here in verse 32, just in this first sentence in the Greek here, we realize that these disciples are amazed and they're afraid and they're thinking, what are you doing? They're thinking to themselves, what is Jesus doing? Does he really know what he's doing? But Jesus takes this opportunity to prepare them to face their fears that are coming their way. And you know what? Jesus wants to prepare you to face any fears that you're going to. I'm only picking out three fears that are represented in this uh, passage of Scripture. But there's many more fears that we deal with as we follow Christ. And I want to reassure you that Jesus will prepare you to face them. But you must learn to overcome them with his help. It's not something that you can do on your own, but you need to overcome them with him. And you must face your fears, first of all, with confidence in Christ. And in verses 32 through 34, Jesus gives great confidence to these disciples. Let me just continue reading here in verse 32. I'll begin with the word, um, well, the second statement there. And he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles. And they shall mock him, and shall scourge him, and shall spit upon him, and shall kill him. And the third day he shall rise again. Again, this is the third time that he has revealed this thing about his death coming uh, by the hands of the chief priests and the scribes. And also he but he if you remember a couple messages ago, I talked about with each success, successive um, revelation of this event, 
he gave a little bit more detail. He was progressive in his revelation, not progressive as in we think about it today, but he was giving them what they could handle each time that he was on his way to Jerusalem. And here he gives them great confidence. I want you to notice he uses this word behold, which means, hey, give attention to this. Hey, look up, pay attention, listen up. And he says, we're going to Jerusalem. And by the way, he didn't say, I'm going to Jerusalem. He says, we are going to Jerusalem. I think that's significant. Because he was going and he was preparing them for the sacrifice that he was going to make. But his purpose and for them was to be his witnesses as the apostles. Because there was going to be a day that he was going to die and he was going to be buried. And he was going to raise himself from the grave on the third day. And he was going to ascend to heaven and he would commission them to be his witnesses of the resurrection and of the gospel that he preached. And so here he is preparing them and he is leading them to be these witnesses, but he doesn't lead them there alone. He doesn't just send them ahead. He goes with them. And I want to to encourage you, he goes with you too. Uh, They had some challenges ahead that were, uh, they were daunting. They were dangerous, but he was with them. He says, behold, we go up to Jerusalem. And again, he's revealed two other times that he's going to die. But again, he has set his face like a flint to do the will of God. Isaiah chapter 50 talks about the servant of the Lord, the Messiah that would come. And Jesus is the fulfillment of this passage. In Isaiah verse uh, chapter 50, verse 5, says the Lord God, Jehovah, uh, the Lord God, Elohim, actually, hath uh, opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. I gave my back to the smiters, and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting, for the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed." What I want to get across to you is that Jesus knew what would happen in Jerusalem. He had revealed it two other times. And I want you to notice his resolve or his commitment that is here. He was committed to doing the will of God, even if it meant suffering was involved. I want to just encourage you with this statement that the Lord is that the Lord Jesus is committed to God's will in your life as well. He's he's committed to the work of God that he's wanting to do in your life as well. I mean, this cup, he was going to have to drink from it, but he chose voluntarily to drink, drink from it. I want you to just notice, first of all, his resolve. But then also I want you to notice his certainty, his control. Uh, Jesus prepares the twelve for his coming sacrifice, and he he uses eight future tense verses here in verse 33 and 34. He reveals that he shall be delivered unto the chief priests and scribes. And I know he's done that before, but he expounds on it some more. He says, I shall be condemned to death. He's said that before, too. He shall be delivered to the Gentiles. And this was new. Uh, in the in the past, he just said, I'm going to be delivered over. I'm going to be betrayed to the chief priests and scribes. And that's what he revealed in the second revelation. But in this one, he says, I'm going to be delivered to them. And then they're going to deliver me to the Gentiles. And the 12 disciples, they understood what that meant. The Romans, the Romans. 
because only the Romans could put a person to death. They had taken, they had conquered Israel. They had uh, the Sanhedrin or the Jewish Supreme Court, if you want to use that terminology, the 70-member council of Jewish uh, chief priests and scribes, uh, ma- mainly the Sadducees did that. And they were a powerful body, governing body, but they could not put people to death. Rome took that privilege away from them. Capital punishment was not allowed. And so they had to deliver them over to the Gentiles, the Romans. And he reveals here in verse 34, And they shall mock the Son of Man, and shall scourge him, and shall spit upon him, and shall kill him. And again, for the third time he reveals, And the third day I, the Son of Man, will rise from the grave. And the thing that I want you to notice is not only the commitment of Christ and the certainty of Christ, but also the conquest of Christ. That as he went to Jerusalem, he didn't go hesitating and doubting whether he was going to be successful or not, but he is powerful and the grave and sin could not conquer him and could not keep him. And that's one of the reasons why we are here today is that we're not just here to gather together and just hang out. We're not here just to gather together and sing songs, which is good. You know, we're here to encourage one another to love and good works. But it's more than that. We're here to worship our Savior, Jesus Christ, who, was ra- who raised himself from the dead on the first day of the week. And that's why we meet here on the first day of the week, is to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we serve a Savior, and we're following a Savior that has all power in heaven and in earth, he said, before he ascended back up into heaven. And so I just want to encourage you with this fact that you're going to face fears when you follow Jesus Christ. And you're going to face the fear of man. You teenagers are going to face peer pressure. You're Friends are going, there's traps ahead of you where your friends are going to pressure you to do things that you know to be wrong, that the Bible has, is very clear about. But it's amazing how many times we will follow the crowd because we don't want to stand out. And the same is true for adults, too, is that we cave in to the majority. We join the herd. We follow the herd. And we don't want to stand out and be alone because we feel vulnerable. And we feel awkward. But when you stand with God, you and God make a majority. And you have to remember that. Um, and so we need to overcome our fears with Jesus Christ. And how do we, what does Jesus use to encourage the 12 here with this fear of man? He, he gives them his word. Do you notice that? That he speaks to them and he shares the truth about what is going to happen. And he gives them confidence, not from what he does, but what he will do based on what he says here. And the same is true for you and me. As we talked about in Sunday school today, it's very repetitive and I'm sorry. But you know what? That should encourage you that you're hearing the truth because it's being consistent here. But the fact of the matter is, is when you face fear, the last place we tend to go is the word of God to the truth. To figure out what God says and what Jesus says. And they were afraid of the Jewish scribes and the chief priests. They were afraid of the bandits. But Jesus says, don't worry, I'm not dying on the way to Jerusalem. And I'm going to die in Jerusalem. 
And you know what? Death is not going to keep me. I'm going to be put to death. And he's going to reveal why he's going there later on in this passage. But he says, the grave will not hold me. You know, I will overcome sin and death. I will be victorious. And he encourages them with his word. And I'm going to rephrase this a little bit. Uh, because as we go to the word of God and we study who our Savior is, we realize how, how we realize his perseverance, that he is faithful to us. That he is faithful to us. That he's not going to leave us nor forsake us, Hebrews chapter 13 says. We reveal, realize his plans, maybe not his specific plans for our life, but his general will for us. And we understand that he knows the end from the beginning. You know, God has written that last book of Revelation, and we know who wins in the end. doesn't mean that the road is without traps or without bumps in the road, but we know who is the conqueror, who is the winner. And he has it all planned out, and he's in control. And the Bible also reveals his power for whatever traps, whatever fear that we may face. And so we have to go to God, and we have to trust in him, and not fear what man can do unto us, the book of Psalms says. And these three great attributes instill great confidence in the Lord. And he reveals his perseverance, his plans, his power. And it great, gives great confidence. But are you confident in the Lord? As you think about the fear of man, as you think about, you know, the presidency and you know, upcoming elections, or maybe just your the finances and how you're going to pay those bills, are you confident that the Lord is going to be faithful and that he's in control and he knows what he's doing. Um, as we talked about in Sunday school about belief, there's two sides of belief. You know that? You know, we can, assent, a lot of times when we talk about belief, we think about assenting or agreeing with something in our mind. But you know what true belief is? Is believing in that and taking action based on what the truth of God says. See, we have been called, according to James chapter 2, to a living faith, not a dead faith. Not one that doesn't have any application to our life. And so as God reveals the truth to you and he encourages you in his word and gives you great confidence in who he is based on the truth of who he is in God's word, then you must make a choice whether you're going to respond or not. James chapter 1 talks about a mirror with the word of God. And we look at that mirror and we see ourselves. And, and you know, it says that if we behold ourselves in that glass and the word of God, and we see where we're trusting in ourselves, or where we see a lie that we believed about God or about what he's revealed in his word, and we walk away from that and don't wash that blemish off and don't deal with it, that we're deceiving ourselves. And what does that say? It says that when we don't respond to God's word and to the truths of God's word, we're deceiving ourselves. We're not we're just doing more of the same and we're hindering ourselves from following Christ. Moving along here, we need to face our fears not only with confidence in Christ, because we serve a powerful and we serve the king of kings, as the lady sang just a while ago. But we don't live like it. Second of all, we need to face our fears Face your fears with contentment in Christ. I shared this verse in Sunday school that in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, the unsaved are described there that they knew God, but they glorified not God, but they neither were they thankful. 
neither were they thankful and they weren't content with what God had revealed about himself. And here in verse 35, we'll begin in James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Uh, they come unto Jesus saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? And they said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit, one on the right hand and one on the left hand, in thy glory. And Jesus said unto them, You know not what ye ask. You're asking in ignorance. That's a, that's, you don't know what you're asking for. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And they said unto him, We can. And Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed Drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I am baptized withal, shall ye be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. Let me just stop there. James and John, they come to Jesus, and they come discontent. We didn't look at this because in Matthew, we're not studying the Gospel of Matthew, but in there is a parallel passage from last week's message, or the, two weeks ago actually, where Matthew talks, where Peter, he asks that question, if just to stir up the memory for you. He says, hey, you know, the rich young ruler, you said that if he sold all that he gave, all that he had and he gave it to the poor, that he will be have a reward in heaven. He says, hey, what about us? We left all and we followed you. What are we going to get? And Jesus tells uh, him that, you know, no one has left me that's not going to be rewarded. Okay, but in Matthew, he gives a little bit more specific information to the twelve. And in chapter 19, verse 28, Jesus said unto them on that occasion, Verily I say unto you that ye which have followed me, he's talking about the twelve here, in the regeneration of the earth, the new heaven and the new earth, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, Ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So what does Jesus promise there back in this in the past? He promised that they were going to get twelve thrones and that they were going to judge the twelve tribes of Israel. And then also in Luke, the parallel passage says that you're going to eat and you're going to feast at my table. I mean, that sounds like a pretty good deal to me, you know, that they already have promised these positions in the millennial kingdom. It's pretty awesome. But you know what? James and John were not satisfied with that. They're like, I just don't want a throne like the rest of the apostles. I want to be the closest to you, Lord. Now, don't take that as they really wanted to be close to the Lord as spiritual, okay? But they they said, I want to have the highest throne, and then my brother can have the second highest throne. And we don't know which one uh, is actually asking for this. And actually... Just to give you a little bit more information, the Gospel of Matthew, we find out it's their mother, Mrs. Zebedee. Actually, her name is Salome. And she goes to Jesus and she asks for them. But we see in this passage, as well as in Matthew, that Jesus directs his response to these two brothers, James and John, because he put, because they put their mother up to this. And they're kind of working the family a little bit. Um, there's a good possibility that Salome is the sister of Mary, if you study the New Testament. So this might be Jesus' aunt that's coming to Jesus and saying, Hey, Jesus, hey, you know your cousins, uh, John and James here. Um, you think, you know, you think you might let them have the, the right hand throne and the left hand throne in your millennial kingdom? 
And so they're kind of working the system a little bit. And no wonder we're going to read our the other ten t- disciples or apostles. They're ticked off. Okay, <laughs> they're, they're ticked off after they find this out because they're working the system here. But Jesus says, that's not mine to give. That's something that's earned. And what were they really seeking? It says that they were seeking the right hand of the throne of, of, of Jesus' throne. That would have been the position of power. And that's what it was recognized. Uh, it was figuratively. And then he said the left hand or the second highest position. And so they are seeking to be first in the kingdom of heaven. If you remember here in Mark chapter 10, Jesus said, But many that are first shall be last and the last first. And so so God, he rewards positions in a different way than people do here on the earth. And the fact of the matter is, is that James and John were not satisfied with what Jesus had already given them. Their request was rooted in selfishness. They wanted the greatest positions for themselves. They were self-assertive. They were self-seeking. They were self-confident. They were self-assertive because they were asking for this. They were self-seeking because they wanted it for themselves, the greatest positions. They were self-confident in that Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. I mean, you are so self-deceived. You don't know what you're asking. You, you can, you, are you really willing to drink of the cup? And Jesus uses, he illustrates the will of God with two illustrations, a cup and baptism. You know, to drink of a cup, you have to reach out and voluntarily choose to drink it. Baptism is that word baptizo from the dying industry where you're immersed in dye and you're identified when you come out of that dye with what you're baptized with. And so here he's saying, I'm going to be overwhelmed with, you know, I'm going to have sin placed upon me. I'm going to have this suffering that's going to come upon me and overwhelm me. And they're like, oh, yeah, we can do that. Yeah, yeah, we can face that. No problem, Lord. You know, and they're self-confident and they're depending and self-dependent. And that's where selfishness will uh, bring us. First Peter chapter five, verse six says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that ye may be exalted, that he may exalt you in due time. But they feared that they were going to do without when they followed Christ. And Jesus points James and John back to God at the end of this. And he says, this position that you're seeking, it's not mine to give in verse 40, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. And the gospel of Luke, I believe, is the one that says of God It's prepared of God, my father, uh, of, of the father. And so he encourages them to live, to humble themselves before God. And the fact is, is that we need to live content with the fact that we won't get what we deserve. <laughs> You know, a lot of times we come to God and we question, God, are you are you going to are we going to miss out? Are you going to not provide for our needs? And we have this fear of uncertainty and that God's going to he's going to leave us with the bag and he's going to or he's going to leave us hanging and we're not going to be able to do what we need to do or we're not going to get the position that we think we deserve. And Jesus says, that's not your call. Your call is to humble yourself before God to live content with him and trust in him to provide for all your needs. And he really expounds on this more in verses 41 through 45. In the next couple of minutes, I'm going to cover this fact that we need to face our fear with the compassion of Christ. 
one of the reasons why a lot of times we are afraid and we're anxious and we're uh, bitter or whatever is because the focus is on us. But the greatest solution to overcoming any fear that you face is to get your focus on God, as Jesus just did in that previous section, and then on others as well. And that's what he does here in verses 41 through 45. He prepares them for a life of service. And he is trying to dispel these fears that they're doing, this fear of loss. The other ten, they see that James and John is talking to Jesus, whether they heard what they said or not. But eventually they found out what they asked. And they are, it says in verse 41, displeased. And that's the same word that was used for Jesus earlier. When they turned the children away, same word. It means ticked off, okay? That's exactly what it means in our vernacular. The other ten were ticked off. They were very angry. They just weren't angry. They were very angry. And they were really wanting to wring the necks of James and John. And Jesus calls these ten to himself. And, of course, James and John are there, and he's teaching them as well. In verse 42, he says, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. Even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. Quickly, let me just uh, go over this. The other ten, they feared losing out. And they feared that they were going to be unimportant in the kingdom of God. And so they uh, get angry. uh, They're frustrated. And they, are, by the way, are seeking the same greatness that James and John are seeking. Uh, it's very evident by their anger and their frustration that they really were going to ask for the same thing, but they just didn't get a chance to do it yet. And so this is one problem for all of them. It's not that James and John are worse than the other. And the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles, they really thought that Jesus was going to set up his earthly kingdom. We're going to see this as we proceed, that they thought that he was going to set up a kingdom right now on earth, and they were ready for him to do that, and they really wanted to have the best seats in the house. And their hearts sought greatness as Rome defined it. And that's exactly what Jesus points out. Did you notice that in verse 42? He says, You know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. Hey, you know those people that are considered rulers over all the nations? Who do you think he's talking about? Rome. Okay? You know, the peace of Rome, the Pax Romana, that was in existence at that point. Rome had conquered all these nations. And how did they do it? By dominating them with power and might. And it says that not only did, do these rulers that are considered to be emperors, do they use oppression and they dominate, but also they use their power to exploit others. In verse 42, and these lords or these rulers, these great ones, they exercise authority upon them. They exploit them and use them for their own benefit. And this is why King Herod was scared and was putting his own children to death because he was going to lose his power. The Caesars were always anxious and worried that a family member was going to turn on them. And so this existed 
in every, pretty much every dynasty because people who sought power would betray them. And the fact is, is that the, this world defines greatness as in power. But you know what? It can never satisfy and it's never secure. But you know what? Jesus is pointing out. He's saying, you 12 are seeking greatness like that. And he says, that's not how my kingdom works. You must, you must seek spiritual greatness, not earthly greatness. And what is that involved? First of all, ye shall be a minister. Ye shall be a minister of the people that you are put over. He says in verse 43, But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister or your deacon, your servant, your waiter. They will see a need in your life and they will try to meet it compassionately. And then also he said, and whosoever is the chiefest, you remember the right hand, you know, whoever is on the right hand of the Lord Jesus is going to be the servant of all, not just servant of their family, not just servant of their fellow church members, not just servants of Americans, but servants of all. And then he says, who is the servant of all? Verse 45, for even the son of man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom or a payment, and it uses the word for or instead of many. Jesus is the servant of all. And what we've been called to do is to be like him. That as we're following him and that as we are going about in this world, that we would be ministers for him to others and that we'd be willing to make sacrifices, even denying our own rights, in order to show the love of God to that person. Did Jesus, could Jesus have claimed the right that he's the son of God and not have taken upon human flesh and become a baby, born in a manger, not in a throne room? Jesus had all these rights, all these reasons for not dying for the sins of the whole world, but he came and came as a servant was willing to die and he did die for you and for me and for the sins of the whole world are you willing to strive for spiritual greatness or for earthly greatness stop get you know we can be afraid that we're not going to be important that we're not going to have the people of looking on me and we're not going to be highly esteemed but the fact is in the end when we stand before the lord it only matters what god thinks because a faithful servant, he's going to say to the, the ones that have been faithful, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And heaven again is not going to be a place of celebrating our accolades and our talents and what we've done for the Lord. But we're going to be like the elders that are described in the book of Revelation and we are going to be laying our crowns, whatever rewards that are given to us, we're going to be laying them at the feet of Jesus. And we're going to say, worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb that was slain and that made the, provided the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. What's your life about? Is it dominated by fears? The fear of man? The fear of uncertainty? The fear of loss or... Or unimportance? 
is Jesus Christ first and foremost. Because he will give, the only way you can overcome those fears is through confidence in him, contentment in him, and living with a compassion like him. Are you willing to face those fears? Or are you willing to continue to be dominated by those fears, those anxieties, those cares? It says there in 1 Peter chapter 5, I said, Humble yourselves in the, under the mighty hand of God, and he shall exalt you in due time. Then you got that famous verse, verse 7, Casting all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. I want to encourage you that you have a Savior who cares about your needs. He cares about your fears, and he wants to take them away. Uh, we've been studying science school from Matthew 11, verse 30. Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Are you willing to come to Jesus? Are you willing to say, I don't want what this world has. Just give me Jesus. Amen. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed, please. And let's, um, let's consider what we've heard from the word of God. And as our instrumentalist plays a uh, hymn of commitment, I want to encourage you to commit your life to the Lord. Maybe you need to confess a sin in your life. Maybe, And what I mean by that is to agree with God about the fears that you have allowed to dominate in your life, the lies that you believed, and you basically say, God, I agree with you about this sin, and I seek your forgiveness. I encourage you to seek forgiveness from the Lord and talk to him in prayer. Maybe you're here today and you don't know if you died today that you would go to heaven. I've talked about this over and over, but you may have been resisting and hesitating to trust in Jesus and him alone for salvation. And if you'd say today, Pastor, I, I'm scared. I, I'm scared of what might come in the future. I'm not, I don't have hope of eternal life. Will you pray for me? If you raise your hand, I'll pray for you. That's a fear that you're dealing with in your life. All right, with Christians praying, I encourage you Christians, if you've been uh, dealing with a fear, you've been dominated by a fear in your life, that you would just take that to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm going to get in your word and I'm going to find out what's true about this situation. I'm going to draw close to you. I'm going to, I'm going to find out what your word says and I'm going to just rehearse on these things. I'm going to hide them in my heart and I'm going to seek help. I want to encourage you. I'm here. If I can be of any help to you, I encourage you to talk to me afterwards or send me a text message or an email. You're not alone. The Lord loves you. He's there. And he also has his people here to help you. But you deal with the Lord. 1 John 1, nine says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Are you ready to be cleansed? Are you ready to experience victory? Jesus will give it if you'll just come to him.
Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Uh, Thank you, Lord, that um, he's committed to our well-being, that he's up to something good in our lives, and Lord, that he wants the best for us. Lord, I'm so thankful that uh, he's in control, and I don't have to be. Uh, Lord, I'm so thankful that he knows the end from the beginning, and he knows what's going on in my life and in my heart and in my family and my marriage. Lord, I'm so thankful that he is victorious and that he is all-powerful and that by his grace I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Lord, I'm so thankful that you give us more than enough. Lord, you provide for every need. You're so great. You're so good. Lord, I just am so thankful for the love of Christ that's been shown to me, to others. Help us, Lord, to get our eyes off ourselves and to get our eyes on others and on you. Help us, Lord, to show the love of Christ this next week. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.